The Lutheran Hour, bringing Christ to the nations. Nets catch fish, words catch people. Dr. Michael Ziegler talks about the power of Jesus' words and story. Have you ever wondered how remarkable it is that we are still talking about Jesus of Nazareth today? There's something about this Middle Eastern preacher, healer, miracle worker. He's still catching people, even today. And Dr. Jeff Kloa introduces us to the Museum of the Bible. The phrase we use is the Bible's hidden in plain sight. The Bible has shaped us to be a certain way, and frankly, that our culture would be worse had it not been a part of our history. That's today on The Lutheran Hour. Hello, I'm Mark Eicher. Glad to be with you once again in these early weeks of a new year. And thanking you for your faithful support, your gifts and prayers help The Lutheran Hour bring Christ to the nations and the nations to the church. Learn more at lutheranhour.org. Now here's our speaker, Dr. Michael Ziegler. Around a campfire, when I was eight years old, I was caught up in my Uncle David's words. The way he told that story, if he had been fishing, I was hooked. Now, I don't remember all the details of it, but it started something like this. Late one night, I was driving through the country in my old station wagon, returning home from a camping trip. The car's engine was giving me problems like usual. It seemed like it was about to die. I didn't want to get stranded out in the middle of nowhere, so I pull over at the only house around for miles. When the old farmer who lived there answered the door, I told him, I'm sorry to bother you so late, sir, but my car is about to die, and I thought maybe I might be able to sleep in your barn tonight and then tomorrow see about getting the car fixed. The farmer said, Don't make no difference to me. So he escorted me into the barn. I unrolled my sleeping bag, set it down on the straw, and was just about to get in it when the farmer says, Well, if you're going to be staying in here, there's something I reckon you ought to see. Then he sweeps aside the straw on the old barn floor to reveal a trap door. He grabs the handle and pulls it up. Under the trap door, there's a set of stairs leading down into the dark. I follow the farmer down the stairs. Squeak, squeak, squeak. At the bottom of the stairs, there's a thick oak door with an iron bolt. He pulls the bolt back. Clunk. He puts his shoulder into the door and gives a mighty heave. It swings open. Creak. We walk through a dark tunnel, and at the end of it, there's a steel vault. There's a padlock on the door, and the farmer unfastens the lock. Click. He pulls open the door. Swoosh. And inside the vault, there's a massive cage with solid steel bars thick as my wrist. And behind those bars, there, I saw it. A heap of purple fur curled up in a ball. And I say to the farmer, what is it? And he says to me, That there is a purple people eater. And then he looks me dead in the eyes and says, Now, son, if you're going to stay here tonight, you got to promise me one thing, that you will not touch him. Understand? Yes, sir, I say. Yes, sir. Good. And then we started back. 
out of the vault, through the tunnel, past the oak door, up the stairs, into the barn where he drops the trap door, ker-plunk. And then he spread the straw over the door and returned to the house. I lay down in my sleeping bag, but as you can imagine, I cannot fall asleep. My mind would not stop thinking about what I'd seen and wondering why the farmer said what he said. So when all was quiet, I get up, sweep the straw from the trap door, grab the handle and pull, creak. Down the stairs I go, squeak, squeak, squeak. Slide the bolt, clunk, open the door, creak. Through the tunnel, release the lock, click, open the vault, swoosh. And there he is, behind those bars, curled up in a ball, fast asleep. And I reach my hand inside the cage and gently stroke his purple fur. He stirs, awake, lifts his head, turns toward me with a a hungry look in his cold black eyes. I, I stumble back as he rises to his full height, filling the cage with his girth, eyes gleaming. So I turn and I ran out of there as quick as I could. But when I get to the edge of the vault, I hear him let out a roar. I look back and I see him bending those solid steel bars as though they were tin cans. I slam the vault shut, click the lock, but he's right there behind me, rips the door right off the hinges. So I run through the tunnel, slam the oak door shut, latch the bolt up to the barn three stairs at a time, slam down the trap as I hear him split the oak door like a stale pretzel. I run from the barn toward my station wagon, jump in the car, lock the doors, and turn the key but the engine won't start and then I see a mass of purple fur crashing through the barn door coming toward me he tears the passenger door right from the car casts it aside like a pistachio shell and stares at me with that gleam in his eyes and then he fishes his purple paw into the cab and says tag you're it sometimes being caught isn't as bad as you think. I only have a few memories of my Uncle David, the one who told a story like that around a campfire at one of our family reunions. A few years later, Uncle David died of cancer. And I don't remember much about him, but I remember being caught by his words that night. You see, he told the story in such a way that it it wasn't just a long setup to a silly punchline at the end. Because when he told it, he was caught up in it with us. With all the gestures and sound effects and suspense, that story became an adventure that we shared together. And he helped me see that being caught up by something bigger, something more powerful than you, isn't always a bad thing. Christians believe something similar about Jesus, that he is the almighty word of God, the creator made flesh. And he didn't just tell a story. He became a human being and lived one to catch us all, to pull us into a great adventure. Have you ever wondered how remarkable it is that we are still talking about Jesus of Nazareth today, that we even know his name, that we even have any details about his life. 
He was a marginal Jewish peasant from a backwater town in ancient Israel, crucified by the Romans. There's no reason any of us should know anything about him. But he continues to be the most talked-about person in human history. Someone at your work is a Jesus follower, and they keep asking you if they can pray for you. A friend keeps telling you about this television series on the life of Jesus that you just have to watch. Signs on the highways point to Jesus. Church bells ring for Jesus. Radio programs, YouTube channels, podcasts speak of Jesus. Folks going in and out of church buildings every week. There's something about this Middle Eastern preacher, healer, miracle worker. He's still catching people, even today. And I'm one of them. I've tried running from him. But every time I looked back, he was crashing through whatever got in his way. I've tried locking him in a vault of skepticism, barring him behind a door of apathy, pushing him behind a wall of my own guilt and self-loathing. But he keeps breaking through. He keeps sending people after me, hundreds of them over half a lifetime, They keep catching me with his word. For some 60 generations, that's what the followers of Jesus have been doing. They've been telling and living his story. Not just another campfire story, but an account of things that actually happened. How Jesus gave himself for us to be crucified for our sins. How he physically rose from the dead to give new life. For the last 20 centuries, word about him has spread exponentially around the globe, crashing through obstacles of every kind because Jesus is still devoted to catching people, all people, to pull us like fish out of the water, to draw us into something bigger. And like fish in a net, being caught by Jesus means dying, dying to your old concerns, and living in him, through him, and for him instead. Being caught isn't always a bad thing. Listen to how it goes in these scenes from an ancient biography of Jesus called The Gospel According to Luke, chapters 4 and 5. Then Jesus went up from the synagogue and went into the house of Simon Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she got up and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he placed his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons were coming out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Son of God. But he would not permit the demons to go on speaking because they knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah. The next day, Jesus went out and walked to a desolate place, And the crowds were 
searching for him, and they came upon him, and they would have prevented him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom, of the rule and reign of God to the other towns as well, because I was sent for this. And he went on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And it happened once when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Jesus was standing near the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And Jesus, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and continued to teach from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, we toiled all night long and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they enclosed a large number of fish, so many their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats full of fish so that they started sinking. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. For Simon and all those who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish they had taken, as were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they brought their boats ashore, they left everything and followed him. And it happened in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down on his face and began begging him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the man, saying, I am willing be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one, but to go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, as evidence to them. But word about him continued to spread, and great crowds were coming to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he kept on withdrawing to desolate places, and he would pray. My Uncle David showed me that being caught isn't always a bad thing. David was a math teacher at a Christian school. His widow, my Aunt Martha, tells me that he was a phenomenal storyteller. She told me, Michael, I remember watching you listen to David tell that story at the reunion all those years ago. You were on the edge of your seat. Your eyes were gleaming. You were enthralled. You were mesmerized. Aunt Martha says that Uncle David loved to entertain people with stories like that. But she said, most of all, he loved to tell people about Jesus, their Savior. And he usually found a way to somehow bring the story or the math lesson or the conversation back around to Jesus. You see, Uncle David 
is one of the hundreds of people that Jesus has sent to catch me. There have been times in my life when it felt like I was passing through a series of doors and tunnels trying to find myself. And like me, maybe you've been told that to find your true self, you have to look inside yourself, express yourself, figure things out for yourself. But God's counterintuitive truth is that you find yourself by losing yourself, caught up in a relationship with Jesus for others, like we heard about Jesus, true to his divine nature, lives forever, joyfully, willingly, caught up in a relationship with his Father. You don't have to run from him. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself. He catches you to give you the gift of your true self. And he sent me to speak to you today. And now he's sending you for others, for those people that you know who are still running from him. They need him too. So tag, you're it. In the name of Jesus, amen. You're listening to The Lutheran Hour. Coming up next, we pay a visit to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. For free online resources, archived audio, our mobile app, and more, go to lutheranhour.org. Now back to our speaker, Dr. Michael Ziegler. Today, I'm visiting with Dr. Jeff Kloa. Dr. Kloa serves on the leadership team at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., and the mission of the Museum of the Bible is simply to invite all people to engage with the transformative power of the Bible. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Well, thanks, uh, Pastor Ziegler. It's great to be here. Okay, Jeff, so let's say that I'm visiting Washington, D.C. with my family, and I, of course, I would say, let's go to the Museum of the Bible. But right. let's imagine my kids might say, Dad, come on, that's boring. How might I begin to be able to change their perspective on this? We really wanted to make the Bible and uh, its history, its impact on the world, to make it very accessible and exciting. There's a lot of interactivity, video, things you can do, sights, sounds, things you smell. Uh, we tried to hit the sweet spot of really getting the truth of the Bible and its impact out there, as well as make it very accessible and entertaining for people of all ages and all backgrounds. The sights and the sounds and even the smells of the Bible. And, and smells, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and we have a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about the ride. I'd heard about this from someone. Yeah. What, what is the, the, Bible muse, the Museum of the Bible ride? The ride, per se, is a virtual fly through Washington, D.C., and it, it's kind of a tour of Washington where you see all the places where the Bible is mentioned or cited throughout the monuments and buildings in Washington, D.C. And so you, you, know, you, you fly into the Library of Congress, you fly past the Supreme Court building, uh, you smell the cherry blossoms, you feel the wind on your face. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great way to show how the Bible, the phrase we use is, the Bible's hidden in plain sight. Uh, you might pass these things every day, you might pass by it on your tour, but the Bible has impacted and is a part of our history, even here in Washington, D.C., 
So let's say I've persuaded my kids to come along and my wife's coming along. We come into the Museum of the Bible. What, what's our experience going to be? How's the museum structured? Yeah. Well, right away you walk in and we have a, a grand hall, high ceiling and, and digital ceiling, 140 foot long, and uh, highlights different art and uh, nature, just highlighting the Bible. And then the museum itself is built around three main themes, the history of the Bible, the stories of the Bible, and the impact of the Bible. The place you might start is the kind of more serious, to kind of get that while you're fresh. So the history of the Bible, which talks about the, really, the, the history of the Bible from its ancient Near Eastern backgrounds all around the world through different languages and cultures, all the way down to the continuing work of translation that still happens today. There's over 700 Bibles and manuscripts on display there. There's lots of video. There's serious stuff there, but also kind of some Indiana Jones-ish kind of stuff to keep the kids interested and entertained. But especially for uh, for younger people, uh, I really recommend the stories of the Bible. So we wanted to give people a sense of, you know, what's the overall story being communicated in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. We also have a full-size reconstruction of Nazareth Village to help people understand the context of Jesus' ministry, what was going on with the Roman Empire, what was daily life like. There's literally a village of Nazareth that you walk into, and we have people in character who will talk about you know, how they prepare food, what life was like, and how they interacted in the synagogue, how they made olive oil, right? Background of some of the imagery in the parables, you said there's a floor, three main floors, so a floor for yep. each of these themes, history, narrative, and then impact on the world and around the right. world. So the, the impact floor is divided into two sections. Uh, one section is the impact of the Bible in America. So how has the Bible intersected with American history and just been a part of our, our culture from the beginning, really from the, the pilgrims in 1620? who brought a Geneva Bible with them across the Atlantic, all the way down through the present day. So how's the Bible uh, shaped our understanding of, of life together, of um, uh, religious liberty is a key topic, and was so for the founding fathers, of course, the abolitionist movement, and, you know, the Bible is used actually by both sides of, of the debate around slavery, and we, you know, we want to make sure people understand the full history, but how the Bible was a key instrument for change, especially uh, in the abolitionist movement, down in through the 20th century, and, and how it's just been a part of our, of our heritage and, and still is part of the, the conversation today. And then the other side of the impact of the Bible is the impact of the Bible on culture. So uh, how has the Bible impacted literature? How has it impacted movies, popular movies? Uh, how has it impacted uh, rock and roll, actually? Uh, not just, you know, mm. hymns or something, but, but you know, Nine Inch Nails has biblical references in their songs. So so they're in the museum. Yeah. Um, how has it impacted uh, our understanding of justice on human rights, politics, on family life, on vocation, all, all kinds of areas where, again, the Bible has shaped us to be a certain way and, frankly, that our culture would be worse had it not been a part of our history. We've been listening to one of those books of the New Testament, the, the Gospel according to Luke. I would think going through that Nazareth village would give you a, a vivid picture of what this context, the context of this narrative is. Uh, how does that help us understand 
the Bible and Jesus and his mission and message more deeply? Yeah, the, the context in which Jesus came uh, in Galilee initially in the first century is, is really critical, f- and, and understanding that is, is critical for, for getting Jesus' message. And the kinds of questions that he gets asked, the kinds of issues that he deals with, all are related to the, the everyday situations that people in Galilee were living with. So in Luke 7, you have a centurion whose daughter is sick at Caesarea, right? Well, why is there a Roman soldier in Caesarea in, in Jesus' day, right? What, what is that dynamic? What does that mean, right? So in the reading from Luke we heard today, Jesus mentions that his followers are going to be about catching people. He's mm-hmm. talking to Simon and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They're, they're all fishermen. So the metaphor, of course, makes sense to them. Right. How do you see this metaphor in your own work? Now, again, I, I know that the Museum of the Bible isn't explicitly about making disciples for Jesus. That's the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. You're, you're reaching a broader, in a broader way or a, a more general way. But how do you, as a follower of Jesus, see the museum in the light of our calling to be catching people for Jesus? That's a really interesting question. It's, you're right, it's not a, you know, come to the museum and get converted kind of approach. That, that's not really going to help anybody, right? But it sets the table for the church to do the work that it's been called to do, right? So we're, we're doing this in a very public way, in a way that's accessible to people and, and sets the stage for them to get excited about the Bible, interested about the Bible, intrigued by the Bible, and want to follow up. You know, we, we have people for two hours, three hours, four hours, right? We, do, we don't have them for an extended period of time. But we want to spark something and, and get them excited about, about a book that might be familiar, might not be, but is definitely worth uh, looking at again, or maybe for the first time. There's an analogy between that and what the Lutheran Hour is doing. We are explicitly sharing the gospel, but there's obviously things that we can't do on a on a virtual broadcast radio or internet medium, we we can't baptize people <laughs> over the radio. Right, we can't right. share the Lord's Supper. We can't show Christian hospitality, but we're, we're sowing the seeds and ultimately maybe whetting the appetite or setting the table for the people of God to embody the message for those who hear it. Yeah, one of our board members, uh, original board members years ago said... Um, a famous pastor, I won't give his name, but you'd recognize the name immediately, said that, uh, you know, people will go into the museum who would never come to my church. And and so there's a, a unique opportunity that we have. And, and of course, the church has uh, plenty of responsibility and, and mission that the museum does not have. So, so they're complementary, not competitive. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you. I invite you to pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. This has been a presentation of Lutheran Hour Ministries.